2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6. If you would please follow in the reading of the Holy Word of God. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Father, help us to have ears to hear. But Father, help us to have the courage to examine ourselves. To see the test. Father, help us. And we not deceive ourselves. Father, we understand the urgency of this topic. And yet, Father, the danger of neglecting so great a salvation. In Christ's name, amen. We began this section is actually the process of sanctification. And in that process, I have shown you through Scripture, step one in sanctification is repentance. You know you have a problem, and you change the problem. Step two in that process was discipline. There are times when exposed to the Word of God that it hurts. Step three is understanding the authority that is placed in our lives, that God has put in us, and the authority that is carried by the Word of God. Step four is crucial because you don't do the first three unless you are genuine. There are many who call on Christ, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And the Lord will look upon them and say, I never knew you. I think that we are in an age, one time in my travels to Russia, I remember talking to a pastor and he made a statement to me that has stuck with me since. And it's a very powerful statement. He said that he had been to America and he had been to churches in America. And he says, I know what has happened. And I said, what's that? And he says, you have inoculated against true salvation. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. You have a lot of people going through the motions. Now, listen, don't think, well, that's an American thing. No, look at what we're reading. I mean, this isn't a new phenomenon. This church founded by the Apostle Paul had turned on him and was believing false teachers. So don't sit there and say, well, this is just an American thing. No, man, it's been going on. I told you back in chapter 10 that spiritual warfare is nothing like Hollywood has described. Okay? Spiritual warfare is truth versus the lie. And it goes back to a very vague statement made a few thousand years ago. You know what it was? Has God said? Okay? I mean, think about how many Christians sitting in churches today believe there's three wise men. Okay? And yet you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. Okay? I remember a guy... If I told you his name, you'd fall out of your chairs. One of the first sermons he ever preached, and he was speaking of the stone that was rolled away from Jesus' tomb. That was the text he used. And you know what he called it? 
how Jesus rolls stones out of our lives. From the rolling of the stone out in front of his tomb? No, you can't do that. You can't do that. Okay, so I I share with you these things. It's like this. Most of us have been in churches at some point in time where they had an altar call. Okay, I get accused that you don't have enough altar calls. If the text don't lend itself to it, I'm not going to force it. Okay, because I used to have a friend of mine who was an evangelist. He get an altar call out of anything. And And it just amazed me. And I'm like, that ain't in that text. Well, you got to challenge people. Well, you know what? Anytime I preach, I think I'm challenging people. Okay? I mean, I've had enough people cuss me after a message that I thought I was challenging them. Okay? So, do you understand that kind of stuff? All right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say a prayer and you'll be saved. And yet, most people say, well, if we say this prayer, you'll be saved. Well, show me where that's at. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you walk an aisle and you'll be saved. Okay? And yet, I look around today and that's still the big thing. Well, you can excite anybody. I've been to sporting events when it's exciting. I've been to some that ain't. But anyway. But these are the kinds of things that I want you to think about. Because when the Apostle Paul is concluding this letter... To the Corinthians, we should be shocked that he says, test yourselves, examine yourselves, see if you're of the faith. Last week, I showed you multiple warnings through scriptures, and then I went to the letter to the Hebrews. And the reason that I went to that letter is that the Hebrew hearers knew what the Bible said. They understood what Scripture said. Okay? They're not biblically ignorant. There are some people that you can get into dispensational theology and have a great conversation. There's other people that wouldn't even know what you just said. The Hebrews would know. Okay? The Hebrews understood this. Last week we looked at chapter 2 of Hebrews, verses 3 and 4, and the writer says this, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. Okay? What he's saying there, you can't plead ignorant. He uses the illustration of a ship going into a harbor. Don't drift by. A ship going into the harbor would trim its sails so they're all flat. And he'd drop an anchor off the back. Slow him down so he can make the turn. But if you drop the anchor off the back and you don't trim the sails, guess what? You're cooking with Crisco. You just wave as you go by. You know that's a safe place to be. You know that's the place you wanted to be. You know that it was a nice harbor. You knew you would be taken care of if you got in there. But by golly, you just went right on by the thing. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. 
Don't drift by. Why? You will not be able to plead ignorance. But there's another warning. In chapter 3 of this letter to the Hebrews, beginning at verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6, through chapter 4, verse 2. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. If we hold fast our confidence and boast and our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. As in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me, and I and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation. It said, they always go astray in their hearts. They did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was angry For 40 years. Was it not those who sinned? Whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So, we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, let us fear if while the promise remains of entering his rest, Any one of you that seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not unified by faith in those who heard. See what he just did? We're getting ready to enter into that in the morning reading we had today in Exodus. We're getting ready to enter this. Moses is getting ready to lead Israel out of Egypt. They're going to cross the Red Sea. They're going to see the Red Sea part. They're going to see Pharaoh's army destroyed. They're seeing the plagues now. And when they get across the river and they enter into the Sinai Peninsula, what happens? They build idols. After what they've seen, after they spent all that time praying that God would save them from the Egyptian slave masters, they are released 
And what happens? They turn their back on God. They heard the word preached. They saw it preached in the actions of Aaron and Moses. They saw the hand of God redeeming them. And what was their response? Joshua and Caleb entered into the promised land of the original group that was taken out of Egypt. Two. Estimate says there was five million. Okay, listen, the writer of Hebrews is speaking largely to a Jewish congregation. Wouldn't you say? Hence the name. And he reminds them of Israel's history. Okay. And let's be realistic. Israel's history with God, Jehovah, is tragic at best. But he reminds them of them. And in this text that I just read to you, he quotes parts of Psalm 95. That's what he's bringing about. And it describes Israel's unbelief. It describes Israel's rebellion after the fact. Look what God did. And they rebelled against God. After God had delivered them from slavery. From slavery. They saw his miraculous works. And yet many still refused to believe. They were appreciative for a time. But you ever thought about it? He was given a manna. Three times a day. Feeding them. And you know what they did? They complained. I'm getting free food. Healthy food, three times a day, and I'm going to bellyache about it. You know what? What's the difference between that and the church today? Tell me the difference. You think about the amazing thing, each and every one of us, that God has done. And yes, look at our list of complaints. The result, God sentenced the unbelieving, rebellious Jews, those who were always went astray, as the text says. They went astray in their hearts. Did not know his ways. He sentenced them to die in the wilderness. To die in the wasteland. I have seen some of that area. You get down in the Negev of Israel. You get down in the south there and it goes over toward the Sinai. And that is some of the most God-forsaken place I've ever been in my life. I mean, there ain't even weeds growing. I mean, it looks like the only thing that grows is rocks and dirt. And, you know, uh, you would probably struggle. I mean, you think about what are you going to eat? Well, manna. Okay. But yet they complained. They complained. They were in slavery, dying, building bricks for masters. And they complained that God took them out. Now, there are times that we would ponder this. And 
the Apostle Paul has already mentioned this in the first letter that we have of the Corinthians. And, and I want to remind you of this. Because I have watched in my years what Christendom is capable of. And, and I'm not talking about the Reformation or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what I have seen in the church. Uh, I've been the senior pastor here almost 21 years. Okay, I have walked with my king for 35 years. And so I've seen a lot of things come and go. All right. Let me show you a text that Paul wrote to Gentiles. Okay. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. First Corinthians 10 verse one, that our fathers were under a cloud and all passed through the sea. Okay. Do you see his provision? You're walking around in the desert, but God put a cloud over you. Why? You ever walked in a desert? It'd be nice to have a cloud over you. And he had a fire by night. Why? You ever been in the desert at night? You try to figure out what happened. Okay. But anyway, and they walked through the seas. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were immersed. They all ate the same spiritual food. Okay. They all drank of the same spiritual rock, for they were drinking of the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For these were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happen as examples for us, so that we do not crave evil things as they craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. And it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. You know what he just said there? This is what God did with Israel when they rebelled against him coming out of captivity. Okay? They were all immersed in the same baptism of Moses, all immersed in the same crossing of the Red Sea, all immersed in the same cloud under. It's just like right now. Okay? You look around here right now. Okay? Are you adamant that you're going to spend eternity with me? We've all been under the same cloud. We've all been through the same baptisms. We've all been explained the same word. How are you doing with your idolatry? How are you doing with your craving of evil? Well, I don't crave evil. Really? What's greed? What's complaining? What's lying? See what I mean? I mean, it's so easy to say, well, no, but go back to your text in 2 Corinthians. It doesn't say you examine another. It says you examine yourself. Test yourself to see if you're of the faith. Are you of the subject of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. If you are, it's visible. You can't hide it. Those who come near. It's symbolic. What he did with Israel coming out of the captivity is the same thing we do today. But because of their sin and the unbelief, they never enter into that rest of salvation. 
That's a serious example, brothers and sisters, because you know what? When you see someone and you spend any moments with them who have entered into the rest of salvation. Okay, remember Jesus Christ in Hebrews is called the what? Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, Sabbath is rest. Lord is the ruler. Jesus Christ is the ruler of rest. And I look around today and I see franticness in quote unquote Christians and something in that don't fit. How is it that I can be intimately involved with he who rules rest and be anxious and be impatient and be unrestful? Now, if you're wandering around in the wilderness, you probably are. Back to the letter to the Hebrews. They are warned in chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Verse 13. Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called Today, so that none of you will harden by the deceitfulness of sin. Paul calls it the scarring of sin, the searing of sin. It's like when you brand a cow, you put heat on it and that becomes a, a, a blistered on there. And then that blister burns through. That now it has no feeling in it anymore. Be careful that you don't allow, you know, the little sins. To sear your conscience like an iron. Because that's how it starts. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, today I think I'll take up murder. Okay, it starts off small. Starts off small. But see, we have a great ability to say, well, lying isn't a sin. I'm protecting other people's feelings. Well, I got news for you. He compares lying in Deuteronomy to homosexuality. Okay, so when you start saying, you know, I'm a Christian. Uh, I heard this uh, conversation last night. I believe in God. Good. Can't be the same God I believe in. Why? You'd be afraid. My God freaks me out. I can't ponder it. I can't wrap my head around it. The water fits in the hollow of his hand, the span of his hand is creation. He set the mountains in place and has weighed the grains of dust. That's a pretty good sized God. Pretty good sized God. Verse 15 of chapter 3. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Have you ever thought about that? Provoking God. Thought that through, didn't you? 
provoking God. Really? What would ever possess you? Well, grumbling is provoking God. Not being thankful is provoking God. Not rejoicing is provoking God. You want me to give you some more? Chapter 4 starts off with the great word, therefore, in reference to what I just shared you about the nation of Israel and how they provoked God and how God laid them in the wilderness. Therefore, let us fear. Did you get that? Doesn't sound like what you hear about God these days, is it? You don't don't fear Jesus. Really? You read the end of the book? That's going to freak everybody out. I mean, he's going to roll all of the stars up. It's going to be black. Now think about that for a second. Have you ever looked up at the stars? Go out east, out, out away from the lights of the town, and go look at the stars. It's amazing. He's going to put every one of them out. Turn them off. Lights out. And there's going to be one light. Coming from the other side of the universe, which is called heaven. And he will come and that one light will get brighter and brighter as he gets here. And you're going to tell me that people ain't going to freak out. I mean, if he puts all the stars out, I'm going to freak out. Then all of a sudden he shows up and it's like uh, Katie bar the door. People will be wanting the rocks to fall upon them so they will not look upon his glory. Let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest. I love that verse. I can tell if a person is saved by their attitude of rest. Why do people get anxious when you're in the, you know, the uh, express lane? You know, 10 items and that fool has got a basket. How in the world can you have a basket? Can't you read 10? Don't you know I'm in a hurry? Doesn't sound real restful, does it? People get mad in traffic. Why? Why? Now, I've had people say, you just don't act like you care about anything. Well, I do. But I'm also with the God of rest. And guess what? He says he's going to take care of all my needs. And you know what? He has. He has. For indeed, if any one of you may seem to have come short of it. You know what? I see Christians today a lot who have come short of it. They're not in his rest. And, and some of the, you know, I deal with a lot of pastors. And some of these are pastors. I listen to what they're frantic about, what they're anxious about. And I'm sitting there going, there's something missing here. Verse 2, for indeed, we have had the good news preached to us. Amen? Just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not unified by faith in those who heard. You know what that means? They're just sitting there. I heard the word. Hallelujah. 
I wonder if he'll get me out of here before the noon rush at the restaurant. He better be done before the Broncos starts. I'll walk out in the middle of him. Really? Really? Pay attention when you hear the gospel. Every single one of you. Okay? Every single one of you. Pay attention. Because let me tell you something. If you hear the gospel and you don't join it with faith, do you realize it only increases a person's condemnation? There are those outwardly who are involved with the church. I remember years ago, a lady that was in this church, years and years and years ago, I had just become the pastor here, so it's over 20 years ago. As long as I had known this lady, if the church doors were open, she was there. And she used to do all kinds of things in the church, had 24-hour prayer vigils. She had uh, uh, any time that, you know, community outreaches, backyard Bible studies, uh, Bible clubs. She did vacation Bible studies. You name it, she was always, always, always involved. Okay? Never seen anything like it. Okay? One time she got mad at me because I was going to become the pastor. Anyway, she said, we need to sit down and have a talk. It's all right. So I met with her. Lady was knew what the Bible said, but she didn't know what the Bible meant. And how do I say that? She looked at me and she says, I do not believe you've been called to preach. And I do not believe you've been called to any kind of church leadership. Okay, we discussed it. And uh, she kind of got angry. And she looked at me and she says, I need to explain something to you that you don't understand. And I said, what's that? She says, have you read Isaiah? I said, yeah, time or two. She says, you know in there that by his stripes you are healed? I said, yeah. I yeah. She says, well, let me explain something to you. By his stripes he healed me, but he had to die for you. Really? My, my. Who'd have thought? Now, she was complaining about my past. Uh, I complain about my past occasionally. Uh, I have that case of Mickey Mantle disease. You know what that one is? Had I known I was going to live this long, I had taken better care of myself. Okay, but uh, she believed that there were two degrees of salvation. One was those sins who had to have the sacrifice of death and those sins who could be taken by a lashing. You know what? That's a lie from the pit of hell. And yet, if you'd have seen this person, you would swore she's one of the greatest, the strongest Christians in the church. And then when you press the issue of theology, all of a sudden you realize she had a skewed view. This lady knew what the Bible said. The Hebrews here knew what the Bible said. They knew all of the verbiage. They knew how to say it. They knew how to act it. I can act holy. But they never hooked it up with faith. It never hooked up with faith. And then I've run into people who have no idea what the Bible says, but they've got one verse and you ain't moving them off of it.
There are those who are outwardly involved in the church. They're in the church. Listen, you're sitting in a church right now, right? That don't make you a Christian. That's like saying I'm standing in a garage. Don't make me a car. In Russia, you don't come to salvation. You do not accept Jesus Christ. In Russia, you repent. That's amazing. The church is the people in Russia. They have a house of prayer. You know what? If I want to make sure I want to be left alone, I'm going to tell everybody tonight at 630, we're going to have a prayer meeting. I know I'll be absolutely alone. That freaks everybody out. What are you going to do? Pray? Oh, I can't do that. Why? Well, what if I say something stupid? You will. Dude, you're praying to God. I'm sure you're going to get that right all the time. You see what I'm trying to get at? Really, you're going to be embarrassed to talk to God. Well, I hope that works for you. Because it sounds to me like you got a pride problem. Listen, the longer that we are exposed to the gospel without committing to it, guess what? The harder our heart becomes. Okay? So I'll close with this thought. One of my favorite words in the Bible is therefore. So if you look at chapter 4, verse 11 of Hebrews, therefore, guess what that means? He's referring back to what he's already and I've already gone through. Okay? Therefore, let us to be diligent. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. So that no one will fall Though following the same example of disobedient. And then here's the verse that everybody knows well. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Therefore. Let us be diligent to enter into his rest. To enter into his rest. Let me ask you a question. Examine yourself. Are you in his rest? You anxious? You worried about who you're going to marry? You worried about whether you're going to have kids or not? You worried about whether you're going to have grandkids or not? I don't know about my job. I know you're all concerned about the stock market because I got calls on it this week. And I'm like, you know, I'm not a stock advisor. Okay. Well, what do you think? I'd buy. (laughs) I mean, it's all dirt cheap right now. (laughs) Okay. But you want to hold on. I mean, you know, but, but you see what I'm trying to get at? You think about the thing. I, I met with someone this week and I, and I told you about it, Karen. Okay. This lady's getting ready to have a very serious surgery. I mean, extremely serious surgery. And, and, and I talked to her and, and we, we talked and we laughed and we kidded and all the rest of it. And, uh, and, and it, it just, you know, and then I said, let's pray. All right. That's what she wanted. Just pray. I know she doesn't want me to do the surgery. So uh, stick, with, stick with your strong suit. Pray. Okay? Because you know what? 
She's looking at her mortality. We all think we got problems. Really? Truth of the matter is, no, we don't. Even when you're looking at your mortality, you got no problem. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Very simple, very easy. Death has no concern to us. Okay? Brothers and sisters, all of you today, please be diligent to enter that rest. Because you know what? When you enter that rest, everybody sees it. It's shocking because nothing can bother you. You guys, and I'll close with this illustration. You guys knew about my cousin who passed away this September, I guess it was. Okay. We had been Facebooking each other. She was on her computer to my Facebook page when she fell out of her chair dead. She was 60. Massive heart attack. Okay. Had just cleaned up the dishes with her husband and her son and was planning. He plays, uh, what's that thing you fling? Lacrosse. We didn't have that when I was growing up. So I said, what is that? Looks like redneck golf. We were making plans to see each other at Thanksgiving. Cause I told her, I said, well, you know, I, th- I think I'm going to come back, see my mom maybe for Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, I'll be back that direction. She said, well, why don't you come up, bring your mom. We'll all have Thanksgiving dinner together at, at the house. I said, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And that was what we were t- t- talking about. Her last entry was her response to the dates that I thought I'd be there. She fell over dead. I still have it on my computer. Okay? But you know what? She had a love for the Lord Jesus Christ that was irrepressible. I've never seen that woman frown in all of the years that I ever knew her. She always had this goofy Cheshire cat grin on her face. I mean, you could spot her half a mile away. And she had a tough life. She lost both of her parents, one to a heart attack, uh, my uncle and my aunt, uh, to cancer, a very agonizing death of cancer. She was an only child. Okay. She didn't have a son. Till she was 50. I mean, that there's depressing. But anyway, she thought it was great. I thought it was depressing. You had a kid win? <laughs> so I can't imagine being 50 and having a child, an infant. So but I guess God will give you strength for whatever you need. <laughs> so, but... I, I think about that and I think, you know what? This lady, she was one of those that if you said, Debbie, I need you to pray about something. She would. You knew for a fact she would be petitioning daily and she would be in contact with you. And yet, she was always in the rest of Jesus Christ. And she went through some stuff. But she never stopped smiling. She always rejoiced. And uh, she called a spade a spade. 
I remember her looking at this lady one time, looking her right in the face, big old grin on her face. And it, she, she just holds her shoulders like this. And she says, you don't look saved. <laughs> You're like, wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so my problem is that every time I do that, I'm not smiling. <laughs> right? Yo, dude. Brothers and sisters, let us be diligent. As Paul is telling the Corinthians, a church that he founded that was lacking in no spiritual gift had been blessed beyond their understanding, had fallen into following the errors of false teachers who actually accused the Apostle Paul of not being an apostle. He says, you need to examine yourself. You need to test yourself to see if you are of the faith. You know what? It'd be very good for Christians to do that on a regular basis. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews, knowing that that, uh, many in our churches today are like the hearers of Hebrews. They know a lot of things about the Bible, but they've never joined it with faith. Lord, when I think of you coming to Job in a whirlwind, And asking Job, were you there when I flung the stars into the heaven? Were you there when I put the boundaries on the seas? Were you there when I set the foundation of the mountains? Father, I pray for everybody here right now. That they would enter into that rest of you who spoke existence into being. And Father, you who paid the ultimate price the redemption to rejoin the fellowship of the Godhead. Thank you, my King and my Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.